0: we are going to jump in this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. And uh we also handed out hopefully you got either on a handout or you have your bible or you have it on your phone. Um I really would love this is a great morning for you to have that in front of you as we just kind of pray through it and uh so because we're we're going through this series right now praying praying through scripture. And um we just wanted to we just wanted to spend a summer after covering the Lord's prayer of just saying, okay, well, we learned how do we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. So that's a pretty specific thing. Jesus says, pray like this, and so we we did a series on that. And then we thought, okay, well, let's let's go a step further here and say, okay, then what does this look like um, in in the rest of our prayer lives, and and how how does this help us um, be be more have a more fruitful uh, prayer life? And so we we said, well, let's let's just spend the summer walking through how do you pray. Scripture. And so we started with kind of the softball, the easy thing. Like one of the ways we talked about praying through Scripture was when you see a prayer in Scripture, pray that. So obviously Jesus said, this is how you pray. But then we talked about, OK, the the high priestly prayer from Jesus. So we see Jesus praying for us. So we think, okay, well, I can pray that for us also. Or when we see Paul praying for a church, then we say, okay, I can I can pray that too. So that's kind of the the first step into um, praying scripture. Is if you see a prayer in scripture, pray it. Um, but there's so much more than that. And so uh, this morning, I want to kind of turn towards another section, uh, a type of scripture that you come across, and saying, okay, how do we how do, how do we pray this? And so that's where we're going to be in, in Hebrews um, chapter 1, the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. So as we get started, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, God, that we get to enjoy your creation and enjoy worshiping you together as a church family. I pray that this morning would be fruitful, that it would, you would stir our hearts our our affections for you, our affection for one another, that you would be glorified and that we would receive all the joy that comes with belonging to you and belonging to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, often when we talk about reading Scripture and trying to understand, like, the beginning of kind of understanding it and gaining insight uh, from Scripture Scripture is often, sometimes we simplify it to talk about it as as scripture will pretty much always tell you something about who God is, about what he does, about who we are, or about what we do. And so that's kind of a, a general idea. And so for God, that's always the same in the sense that it's always good. So you'll read sometimes passages where it talks just about, just describes the character and the nature of God. And sometimes you'll read passages of scripture where it talks about the actions that God does, which are always good and for our good, and and we can see how he actually functions. And then we read other passages that are about our identity and about who we are, and sometimes it's about our sin identity, our sin nature, and then other times it's talking about our identity in Christ. And then finally, we, we often come across passages where it talks about what we do sometimes about our our sinful nature and how that plays out, and other times about how who we are called to or how we are called to live, um, in light of being adopted and uh, redeemed by our God. And so, um, of all of those, I find that this this idea of the the passages that state about who God is are the ones that we just so quickly just skip past. And we just say, yeah, yeah, I got it. And we talked a little bit about that last week with the love of Christ, that it just feels very elementary. And so uh, what I want to do is just to say, okay, this morning, I just, the walk away for this morning is, my hope is you'd be able to look at scripture and find those passages that when you come across a passage that says, God is this, this is who our God is. This is his nature. This is his character. That it would move you, that you would understand how to pray that, and how to really receive everything that God has for you, um, in in passages like that. And so, when we think about praying praying through Scripture, and just kind of a, 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 a just a paradigm to go through. And normally, I would put this up on a big screen. And so, I'm really—I mean, those of you who are auditory processors, this is no big deal for you. Those of you who are visual. Are gonna are gonna struggle here, and so I'm gonna help by giving you imaginary places where these phrases fit in. Okay, on the screen, and so when we look at scripture and we're thinking about or reading it, um, I, I kind of go through a paradigm of three things that I that I want us to kind of think through. One is that um, we learn it, and then we we love it, and we live it, and it's totally stolen from the Puritans who talked about head, heart, hands. So if you're familiar with that, head, heart, hands, I, I often think of it in the terms of I want to learn it, love it, and, and live it. And, and what I mean by that is when you're, when you're reading a passage like this that talks about who God is, we want to we learn it. We want to think about it. We want to consider it. But we want to be able to pray. So one of the first ways that we pray scripture is we pray for discernment and understanding when we read a passage. It's interesting to me how many times people say, I don't read the Bible because I can't understand it. I read it and I just don't I just don't get it. And and so they'll rely either on heavily on commentaries and say, well, I just want to read what somebody else says about it, or they rely heavily on sermons. Like I just, if you would preach on it, then then I would understand it. But what's interesting is how little we actually go to the source in asking what it means. Like, why, why would you want when you're reading a passage and you're saying, I don't know if I understand this. Why would your first thought be, well, I hope Jay preaches on this sometime? Rather than, I'm going to ask the living God who dwells in me through the power of the Holy Spirit, who wrote this, I'm going to ask him, what does this mean? Help me to understand. And so that's, that's what I mean when I say that head part and that learning it. Like and You're going to pray scripture to learn it and understand It's when you're confused, when you don't understand it, when you come to something that doesn't make sense to you, ask God for help in understanding it. But don't stop there. We tend to stop there. If we do that step, we think, okay, the goal is to just understand it. If I can understand it and I can repeat it back, then I'm good. But we don't want to stop there. We want to love it, we, which is really characterized by this question. Whenever I read a, a piece of scripture— and I think I understand what it's saying. The next question you should ask yourself is, why is this good news? Because everything God tells us, tells his children, to his children, is good news. And you may say, well, yeah, there's bad news to the gospel too. Right. To, to those who don't belong to him, to those who have rebelled against God and have not received Christ, then yes. But to his children, it is good news. So the question is, why? Why is this good news? And that leads Um, to prayers of thanksgiving because if we just stop at knowing it we're no different than the enemy like satan knows more scripture far more scripture than all of us combined but he doesn't love it and he doesn't love it because it's not good news for him but it is for us and so we want to ask that question why is that good news because if you stop just at knowledge to paraphrase paul if you stop at knowledge that will puff up It will lead to spiritual arrogance. It will lead to what has happened a lot of times in the American church where people who label themselves as Christian love to spout off all their knowledge and tell everybody why they're right and everybody else is wrong. But that puffs up. That is spiritual arrogance. That is what the Pharisees did in the days of Jesus. But love builds up. If you press on and seeing the good news and you say, okay, this is who God is. Now, why is that good news? You start to love it. And it softens your heart and it leads to um, prayers of thanksgiving. And then it doesn't stop there. We then live it. Which our prayers, like our our hands, it should flow out. If I actually understand this about who God is, and I, I, I love it, I love this truth, and it should come out in my life. It should be demonstrated belief. And so that's the question of asking, okay, if I understand this and I say that I love this, It stirs my heart. Well, then what would my life look like? What should it look like? Because God has given us his word and he's revealed himself through it. Not so that we could pass some kind of test or checkbox on judgment day and get our ticket into heaven, but so that we could love him fully and love others deeply. And so praying, praying with this in mind of saying, okay, if I believe this about God, then what would my life look like? That will also lead often to prayers of repentance because I don't know about you, but when I go through that process, I often say this is what my life should look like, but it doesn't. So now what? And so then I repent and I ask God for for forgiveness and I ask him for help in, in transforming me and changing me. And that that's really easy. Um, That part is seemingly easier when we have direct commands. But that's why I want to take this morning and we're going to look at this passage that is a very theological passage. It's just a statement by the author of Hebrews of who God is and specifically who Jesus is. And so I want to make sure that we can look at that and say, okay, would well, we understand this? And then do we, do we love it? Do we see it as good news? And how would we live it? And another example of that, just, um, just to help us kind of tie that together before we go to that passage, is um, during the Lord's Prayer, Robbie talked, uh, preached on the passage of our Father in heaven. And so that statement, our Father, very simple statement, but that statement, our Father, says something about who God is, Right? You know, I understand that, but it doesn't just say something about who God is. It, it says something about who we are. All right. So when I, when I referred to that handsome young man over there, well, there's two handsome young men over there. But Philip doesn't belong to me. But when I point out to, to Judah and I say, um, I, I talk about him and I refer to him as my son. Well, that also tells you that I'm his father. Right. Like, it's not rocket science. Like, I can imply that from that relationship. And so that theological identity statement of, okay, I understand that that's the relationship. But then what does that mean? What do we know then about, about what he does, about how he plays that out? Jesus talks about that. Like he says, how many of you, um, if your son asked you for, a, a bread, for bread, would give him a stone? Or if, they, if he asked you for a fish, would give him a serpent? And then he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Does your father know that? And so we look at that and say, okay. so if God is my father, he already says this is how he lives this out, that he cares for me as his child, as his son. And so I love that. That is why is that good news? Well, it's incredible news because the creator of the universe has said I'm his child and he cares for me as his child. And that's an unbelievable thing. That's unbelievably good news. And if that's true, if I really believe that, how would that come out in my life? Well, I wouldn't worry about missing out on things. I would listen to him and obey him because I would trust him. I would know that he cares for me and that he's for me. And as a dad, I would know that my job then is to be a dad like God is a father to me. And of course, in my life, that would lead to a lot of repentance as I fail in that in a a daily basis. But it also gives me hope for how to move forward from that point. And so as we're praying scripture and praying passages like this, we see all of these things come together. We see praising God, giving thanks to God, asking God for help, repenting. All the things that we learn through the Lord's Prayer are, are everywhere in scripture. All right. I got rejuvenated by the cool breeze and the cloud cover, and so that intro went longer. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to, don't worry. I'm very aware of the sun right now. Um, So we're going to try this. Let's jump into this passage, Hebrews chapter 1. Look at this passage together. And these are the intros that we often skip past. We read them because they, a lot of times they start to sound the same. Paul especially will address his letters. He'll open them up the same. And if you're anything like me, you kind of like skip past that, like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. Got it. your apostle, Jesus Christ. Okay, Lord, say, got it. Okay, let's move on to, like, what's the meat of what he's talking about? But don't do that. So he starts out, long ago, in a galaxy far away. Sorry, Star Trek. Just, just kidding. That was a double joke right there. Um So long ago, he says, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we just just stop right there. The very first sentence, half of a sentence. He says God has spoken to us in many ways. What does that say about our God? That he has spoken to us through generations, to our fathers, through generation after generation. He's spoken in many different ways through the prophets. It says these incredible things about God, how he is patient, how he is wanting his people to know him. He is not hiding himself from his people. And that should fill us with all kinds of thanksgiving that, God, you've revealed yourself to me. You're not hiding yourself from me. I think about all the Old Testament stories and, and it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So he told all these things through the prophets so all throughout the generations, he's been saying all these things, revealing who he is and what he has done for his people and what he is doing. And now he speaks through Jesus, which is an incredible thing. Like those saints that died, even later in, in Hebrews 11, he'll talk about those saints before Jesus came and how they died believing in what God was going to do but never being able to see it. It was from a distance. They, they didn't understand. But now we get to have the joy and the privilege of seeing that Jesus has lived and died and been resurrected. We see the culmination that the entire Old Testament points to Jesus and that should fill us with thanksgiving and praise and just in awe and wonder that we get to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. This great high priest who understands our weaknesses, who shows us how we are received. And so that's this incredible gift from God. And if I understand that, that, okay, God has always been revealing himself. He's always been telling me who he is and he's used his word to do that. And He did it through the prophets and now he's done it through Jesus. And all of that is recorded in God's word. What would my life look like if I truly believed that and loved that? Like, would I, would I look at this Bible and say, well, that's boring. I don't see how that relates. Would I have to get, drag myself to it while I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I would so much rather be fishing? I would so much rather be watching TV. I would so much rather be just doing anything. All right, I'm going to get I'm going to do it cuz I need to do it. I need to do it. I need to focus. I'm going to do this. I'm going to read and then I'm going to then I'm going to move on. Like anybody want to be honest and say that's that that's your experience? Cuz I'm raising my hand right now. So maybe I'm the only one that that can be my experience. All right. Got seven honest people. Great. Right, It happens. You go through seasons like that. And then if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you also know those seasons of life where you cannot get enough of it. You just devour it. You just can't wait. You just want more and you want more and you want more. That's what it looks like. And as I'm praying and saying, God, I should, I should, I should want that. You've always been telling us about you have revealed yourself through Jesus and through your word. Like, I, I want to want that. And so you see how you, you pray, even a, a phrase like that just becomes this prayer of God, forgive me for taking for granted your word. But God instilling in me a desire. I remember what that was like. I remember devouring it like it was just the most incredible thing I'd ever read every day. And I want that again. Help me to be faithful in that. And then he says, he starts talking about Jesus then. So he's talking about, he spoke through Jesus in these present days. And he said, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's a lot, but this is what I do. When I start to um, read a passage like that, and I start thinking about how do how am I going to pray this? I start to just start to grab things that just jump out at me. Truths that it's saying, and in a passage like this where it's just giving me bunches of of theological truths about Jesus, what do I, what do I do with those? How do I pray those? And so that's just what I did here. So you're seeing right now, you're just going to see the process of what this looks like. So normally I write and revise and do all this stuff. This one, even the the document was titled rough draft. And that's what you're getting because I thought, this is what I want you to see. I want you to see how this process is through and just look at this and pray it because I don't want you being dependent on me to do this. I want you, there's no reason because what I'm dependent on to be able to do this is the Holy Spirit and practice. That's what I have. And what you have to be able to do this is the Holy Spirit and practice. It's the same thing. And so I want you to be able to do this, to say, okay, what, what jumps out at us there? He's the creator and ruler. I see those, these things in, in verse 2. It says, through, the, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus created the world. Everything was created through Jesus. So he started to consider that and understand that and say, God, what does that, what does that mean? How do you, how, how, what does that say about who Jesus is? It says he's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a good man who had some good ideas. The Bible's claiming that everything was created through him. And so when you read the gospels and watch how he interacts with people and you consider his life and how he walked around saying, this is the creator of everything, submitting himself to the creation, humbling himself and serving with humility. Like Jesus, how is it that you subjected yourself to your creation? How did you do that? And then my mind just wandered to, is is that what you meant when you said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Is that the picture that you're you're giving? Through him, all things were created, but not just created and set on a shelf. Look at the second part uh, in the middle of verse three. It says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. What that means is, Like, think about that. He's upholding it by his word. It's not just a wind-up toy that he created and he wound it up and then just said, let it go. And now he's gone on to bigger and better things. He's upholding it by his word. Think about what that means. If his voice ceased, everything would stop existing. Just let that sink in. We think of God as having created, and then he's over here, and that when we pray, we're trying to get his attention. Hey, God, can you look at my situation here? Can you see that? And and what he would respond to us with is, see it. I have been speaking you into existence constantly. That's how intimately he is involved. That's why it's such good news. He's right now speaking all of this into existence. And that is so hard for us to grasp and understand. But what it means is that no matter what's going on around us, it is not as chaotic as we feel. There's never a reason for Christians to panic in that sense. That's why we should be calm. That's why we shouldn't be, we don't need to be combative. That's why we can be patient and gracious and loving and kind. Because our Jesus reigns over everything. His voice will never be removed. His reign will never come to an end. He's not somewhere else on a coffee break. He's not asleep at the wheel. He is here, upholding everything by the word of his power. What would my life look like? God, what would my life look like if I really believed that? What would it look like if I, if I believed he was upholding things? Because when I look at my life, I say, if my life would, would look like I just am just trusting him every single day. Free to just live and love people. But I don't know about you, but I often find that I'm not living like Jesus is upholding everything by the word of his power. I'm living like I have to uphold everything by my work and my effort. And maybe you're in that situation where you feel like your life is, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. If I don't get control of this, it's not going to happen. And what does that lead to? It leads to stress and anxiety and pressure that you were never meant to bear on your own. And so I want to look at God and say, you are the creator and the ruler of the world. Jesus, you reign always. He upholds it. If I believe that, I will submit to him and I will trust him. God, forgive me when I don't do that. Forgive me when I see myself as king and as needing to take control and take this situation by the reins because I feel like you're not here, or you're too busy, or you fell asleep at the wheel. God, forgive me for that. Then he says in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. This is... It's just so loaded. This is just the intro to Hebrews. Someone said, like, I couldn't believe how long it took you to preach through Mark. Let me preach through Hebrews or Romans. Like, I will die first, likely. It would just never happen because you're just looking at this saying, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. How often do people say, like, well, how do you know who God is like? How do you know what God thinks? I used to get that all the time when I'd share the gospel with somebody and they'd say, well, who are you to speak for God? And I when I was younger, I just didn't know how to answer that. But now as I've gotten older, I've learned that, well, my answer is I'm I'm nobody. I don't speak for God. But Jesus does. Because Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. So if you want to know what God is like, then you look at Jesus. That means we can know him. He's not just some concept that I can think about and try to make up for myself. He is God, and he is knowable. We can't ever know him completely or exhaustively, but we can know him truly. We can see what he's like. We can see how he responds to us, how he looks at us. I get people, a lot of times when they're being buried by guilt and shame, will say, I just can't even face God right now. I don't even know what he would think of me right now. Yes, you do. Look at how Jesus responds to those who repent in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Look at how Jesus looks at the leper, at the sinner, at the outcast. Look at how he does. That's the exact imprint of the nature of God. And that is incredible news to see how he functions, what he thinks. We we read the Gospels, and if you wonder, so if you wonder about God's heart for the sinner, you watch how he hangs out with them and dines with them, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. If you wonder if he cares about the pain in the world, you watch Jesus weep at the grave of Lazarus, who he knows he's going to raise from the dead, but it doesn't change his grief in that moment. If you wonder if God wants you or would ever accept you, then watch Jesus as he says, come and follow me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. And if you wonder, could God possibly love you? Then you look at the cross. And when you see that he is the, Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God, the God of the universe who upholds everything by the word of his power, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What would your life look like if you believed that? And so as I was working through this, I was just praying, God, let me, let me believe this. My life would look like it would be intimacy with you, just walking with you, following at your feet, saying, Jesus, what are you doing here in the midst of this? I've said this before, but I, I in, in different seasons of my life, the more fruitful seasons of my life, I found myself wherever I walked into, whatever store, whatever restaurant, whatever anything I would walk into, whatever house I'd walk into, I would pray, God, I know that you are working in people's lives here. Show me where and how to get on board. Whatever it is. Whatever you want to do. If you want to have a server completely like forget my order and leave me here for an hour while I'm just completely forgotten about, do it. Do it so then I can share the gospel so that I can respond with graciousness and kindness. If you want to have me have an awkward conversation with somebody or offer to pray with somebody, like whatever you want me to do, I want to do it because I know how you function here. I know how you would walk through this coffee shop, through this restaurant, through this house. I know because I've seen you do it because I've been praying your word and reading your word. I know what you would do, so I want to do that. If God feels distant to you, feels like a concept, or feel like I can't really know him, or he's just so nebulous, read the Gospels and know that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And then in this incredible exact imprint of the nature of God, it says, after making purification for sins that he purifies us from our sins through the cross. And he's able to do that because he's God, because he is the radiance and the glory of God. And so when you ask your question, can God really forgive me? Could he really use me? Yes, he made purification for sins. And so God help me with my unbelief when the enemy wants to bury me with guilt and shame. Let me live in that freedom. And then he says, this other thing that jumped out is this inheritance. He says, whom he appointed in verse 2, whom he appointed to the heir of all things. And then at the end of verse 3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this Jesus, who, who, through whom all was created, who is the exact imprint of the nature of God, who made purification for my sins, is appointed the heir of all things. And he sits and he reigns for all eternity. Now, why is that good news? Well, it popped in my head immediately. It was Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So everything that Jesus inherits, everything that we're seeing as we see this majesty, this picture of this majestic Lord who came in the flesh and and submitted himself and died for the purification of our sins and then rose again and sits and inherits everything and reigns for all eternity. Then in Romans 8 says we're co-heirs with him. We are with him, provided we identify with him. He says specifically, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we just identify with him. We go where he goes. We pick up our cross and we follow him wherever that is. And that's incredible, incredibly good news. Because all things that have been given to Christ have been given also to those who trust in Christ. This is an incredible thing that is claimed in Scripture. We are not let into the kingdom as servants who just scraped by. We are adopted in as children and heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Now try to make sense of that. I dare you. I can't. My entire life has been spent trying to do this and I still look at statements like that and go, seriously? Like I'm not a little bit on the junior varsity team? Like, I don't just, like, I'm not just in a smaller, like, little condo or apartment, like, next to the ice machine or something like that. Like, like, you're saying I'm heir of everything? Do you not know what I've done? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know what I think about on a daily, do you not know, like, how I take these things for granted and how my heart just constantly gets wooed by other ridiculous lesser things? Do you not see all this? Yes, of course I do. I'm upholding it all with my voice. I do know that. And I've made you my heir. What an incredible thing to pray. So I get it. I get that that, you know, if you were thinking, because so often we like to teach through the Bible and we try to, you know, really systematically teach through it. And I know that this is not that. But I didn't want it to be that. I just wanted you to come along with this journey of saying, okay, I just read this passage. How do, I, how do I actually pause here and consider this? How do I actually pray about this? How do I not just check the box and say, I read it? How do I not just say like, oh yeah, I got it. Jesus is God. I got it. Yeah, yeah, the Trinity. Totally get it. But how do I sit and linger and have a conversation with the Holy Spirit about what I am reading here and what he has revealed to me? How do I make sure that I'm understanding this by going to the Holy Spirit first? And yes, by all means, check with other believers. Because though the Holy Spirit dwells in you and dwells in me, that doesn't mean we're perfect in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. We need to have community for that. So it is good. I listen to sermons. I read commentaries. I check those things. But my first place that I ever go when I'm reading a sermon or reading a a passage and wanting to teach it or wanting to understand it is always the Holy Spirit. Always. And then I go and I start checking and I'll ask Robbie, hey, Robbie, I was thinking this, what, what do you think about this? And I read another article about this other pastor I trust and I see what they're thinking about it. And that helps me kind of refine things. And so I want to I learn it in that way. I want to I love it and give thanks. As I, I, I love that I can know God. I love these things about it. And I want to pray that I would live this out. I want to ask questions about my life. Does it look like I believe this? And I want to repent when it doesn't. And I want to ask for God's help in living it out. Like, do I live like Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God? God, forgive me when I don't. Help me to do that. Help me to know what that means. Help me to walk according to the Spirit. And then when you're doing that, as you're praying that, then go and respond. I find that one of the great ways to set in motion this idea of praying um, is, is praying until the Spirit gives me something concrete that I can go do. I'm not a very concrete person. I like things big and big picture, abstract. I don't like specifics. I like really big, but I find that for me, so maybe it's different for you, but for me, I find that it's helpful as I'm praying Scripture to say, okay, God, bring them, give me something to go and obey with this. I don't want this to just be talk. I don't want it to just be some thought of like what I could do in theory, but give me something. And so that can be things like to text a friend that was brought to mind that I I pray for in that moment. It could be that I directly go and I apologize to my kids for, for losing my temper or for my attitude earlier. It could be doing the thing that I've been procrastinating, the small thing that that my wife has been asking me to do that I've been procrastinating on and just going and doing it to honor her and love her. It could be taking my thoughts captive in that moment and and writing that out and calling out the lies that tend to fill my head about what's important or valuable or true. But obedience forms all that. It, It gives you that gift of faith and kind of brings to culmination all of that prayer it could be getting baptized. And This morning, we are fortunate enough to be able to celebrate that together. So I'm gonna have Amy come up. We often talk about baptism as this first step of disobedience. So maybe you've been sitting here and maybe the Holy Spirit revealed to you in this moment that baptism was the thing. That you've been putting that off. You've not been Um, you just have been for all kinds of reasons. I I wouldn't expect that that's everybody sitting here. I wouldn't even expect that's a big percentage, but it could be one person and it could be somebody that is just thinking, oh man, you know what I've been putting off is baptism. And then I just said it could be baptism. And some people laugh at that, but I guarantee you that happens almost every week. Why? Because it's not about the stuff I prepare. It's about what the Holy Spirit is doing and preparing. And so baptism is the sign of obedience. And if you come from a different tradition where you baptize infants, you're not alone. Like I, I was baptized as an infant. Amy was baptized as an infant. Um, and so that's, that's not what this is about. But when we look at scripture and just say, okay, what, what exactly, what did they do? And how can we be in faithful obedience to that? We see Jesus himself, the creator through whom all things were created, submitting himself and being baptized by John who looks at him and says, why am I baptizing you? That should not be happening. And Jesus says, yeah, this is happening. And he sets this example for us. That he identifies with us in that moment so that we can identify with him in, in baptizing and in being baptized. And so that's what this morning is about. And the immersion, um, the reason why we dunk and you're wondering how are we going to do this. Fortunately, Amy is short. She's going to bode well for her. And no, I will not be getting into the tank with her. That's a real second question. But we're just going to do it because God commands us to baptize. We're not going to wait until we get to go back in there and do it. And we weren't going to do it separate from our church family. Like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it here. And and so um, it's this idea that we are just, that Amy is just walking in obedience and saying, I'm going to respond to Jesus in this way. And so it is symbolic, but it's also supernatural in the sense that we dunk because it's it's this identifying with Christ. It's saying, I belong to Christ. Amy declaring to everyone, I belong to Christ. And she's identifying with him in the death, burial, and then the resurrection. So that's why we lower down into the water and then bring out.